Hello, I'm Dame Helen Mirren, and you're listening to Gareth Jones on... Will you drummers shut the f*** up? We're trying to do a f*** podcast here! Sorry. Hello, I'm Gareth, he's Zog, Hello. and he's Richard, Hello. and this is Gareth Jones on Speed, the most reliable source for motor industry data on your iPod, which I'm sure it has never been before and it won't be after this show, but we thought we'd talk in this programme about something that we've noticed recently and I'm going to back up with journalistic research and figures, Richard, is that right? Well, I looked something up on the internet, but it came from a trusted source. We have at least one fact, at least one fact. At least one. Which is and a breakthrough. may even be right. What I was going to talk about was the car sales figures for last month. Calm down, I know. It's Terribly exciting subject. <laughs> Are but you Mike Brewer now? Does Mike Brewer do that? I, he does second-hand cars. He does do second-hand yeah. cars, yeah. that is true, and he often mispronounces the names of them. He does. Which I'll just... <laughs> it's a bit annoying. It's a bit annoying, because he did a series of... Uh, was that trading up he did, where he started and he bought a cheap car at the beginning of the series, and the whole thread of the show was each week he would then buy a new car with the profits from the previous one, do it up, try and increase his profits, so he would go from a small, cheap car to a bigger, expensive one by the end of the series. And one series of that, he started with what we would call a Fiat Cinquecento. That was the first thing he bought. Hmm. And he called it? I bought this lovely Fiat Cinquecento. Which, <laughs> and, it, and he did this, we had to recap everything at the beginning of each programme, where he'd end up going, I bought this lovely little Cinquecento. <laughs> the thing is, I know Mike Brewer a little bit, just from seeing him around at, you know, car things. And also, bizarrely, I was in a bar in Leamington Spa a few <laughs> weeks ago. I know that sounds funny, Mike Brewer lives in Leamington Spa. I didn't know that, so I don't know him that well. But he walked in, and I was like, hello, Mike, what are you doing here? And he went, I live here. <laughs> did you ask him to say the name of the town? Exactly. Leamington Spa, he's <laughs> Lovely little old spay town, what the Romans built, and it's just—he's <laughs> brilliant. I like Michael a lot. He's a, he's a really guy. nice bloke, but yeah. he does mispronounce things. Brilliant. And, and I once said to him, Mike, you know, you said Sinky Cento every week on that bloody show. It drove me nuts. <laughs> And he went, that's what I do, that's my thing, that's the way I say it. I don't make it right. (laughs) Although, and I say this as a terrible pedant, he's not entirely without a leg to stand on there on that thing. He's wrong. It is Cinquecento. But I'm just saying that there is something in that argument that part of his shtick is saying things his way. and uh, Maybe so. There's a little something there. I'm just saying. There's a little little of both. And if he was a trained classicist or something, and he'd go, well, actually, originally they would have said it like That's one thing. But, you know, he is a Cockney used car dealer. We've digressed quite a lot. No, we haven't. Richard, taking this, it's all right to have your own shtick by mispronouncing things. Tell us the sales figures for Foods, Vauxhalls, and Nissans, or whatever. You've got there. What have we got? This week, the sales figures for last month come out, and this happens every month. They publish the sales figures through the SMMT. But a few things caught my eye. I'll give you some perspective on this because you might not know how many cars are sold at all by anyone. But your big hitters at the top Ford. In April this year, Ford have sold 22,178,000 cars. Vauxhall, 17,645. And then VW in third place, 16,096. Those are your mm-hmm. big hitters. But then what's interesting is who's coming in and forth. I'm not looking. Uh, Kia selling a lot of cars these days. Kia are doing all right, but... How about... Uh, is it Nissan. Toyota? No, no. Not Toyota? Not Nissan? No. Skoda? Okay, um, no, no, Skoda. What are we seeing a lot of on the roads? What's... Uh, Land Rover. 
No, no. Come on. <laughs> They're doing all right, um, but no. Where are we seeing a lot on the roads? Um, Chevy, no. no. Don't see a lot of those. Wouldn't be a Peugeot or... Uh, uh, hang on, hang on to Sanyong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell tell us. Yeah, tell right, us. The fourth best-selling car make in Britain last month was Audi. Get they out! They did 10,823 cars, so it's half of what Ford have done, but still a lot of cars. Outselling fourth BMW and Well, BMW were fifth. Wow. And that's not including Mini. So these sort of, in inverted commas, prestige brands that people might think are quite exclusive are quite the opposite. They're bloody everywhere. So Audi and but BMW just, just, just sold more than Nissan. Those BMWs figures you say don't include the they Mini. don't include Mini. Mini, mini separate brand. OK. okay. Mini yep. sold 3,350 cars, so they're doing OK. I won't read out every figure because it's not that interesting, but I did think that was interesting. That mm, Audi, yeah. fourth best-selling maker, this is just last month, you know, but it sort of gives you an indication of what's going on generally. BMW fifth ahead of Nissan in sixth, and then Mercedes in seventh, who've outsold Peugeot and Citroen and Toyota and then you've got Hyundai and Kia who are about selling the same each at 5,000 and a half or thereabouts so they're doing okay and better than Skoda also just as a, a little aside Dacia did just over 2,000 cars Dacia so no Dacia <laughs> I'm not it's having it. A, it's a thing. It's that's your, a that's it's your launcher thing. thing. No, but that's it's that's your launcher thing. Launcher. I'm just going to so, say it's, it's always been Dacia. It's, uh, we spent <gasps> two series on Top Gear saying Dacia because that's how we thought it was pronounced. Now, mm. Dacia arrives in the UK and goes, wow, we've had all this free publicity off James May being a silly idiot and saying good news <laughs> on the telly every week to seven million people and the rest around the world. So, well, let's just go along with it. Let's call it Dacia because that's what British people seem to say. And now they're bloody-mindedly going, no, it's Dacia. It's like going, where yeah. have you been on holiday this weekend? I went to Paris. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't go Peugeot. It's Peugeot, because we say it differently. You wouldn't expect a yeah. French person, the French person would say Jaguar. Dacia's da- okay, da- a place that, you know, if you're an oligarch, that's, yes. that's where you go for your weekend. And, yeah, exactly. You know, Dacia is a cheap and quite I've amusing I've never owned or been an aficionado of Lancia. I had a Lancia mm. HPE because my brother-in-law was from Rome and he said, no, no, everybody in England says it. It's wrong. It's not Lancia, it's Lancia. So it's a Lancia. Mm. All right. Uh, anyway, unless your brother-in-law's become Romanian, it's Dacia. <laughs> <laughs> go on, who's at the bottom and, end? Uh, Romanians, you're welcome to come over here like the bloke who decorated my house the other week and mispronounce our car names as well. Looking down there, it's surprising how few cars Honda sold, yeah. actually. Mm. That's mm. thought so Honda was about 3,000 cars. There's not that many more than Renault who had a pretty disastrous time as well, considering they used to be right at the top. They only sold just under 3,000 cars. But Mini, they sold more Minis than Hondas. They sold more Land Rovers than mm. Hondas. Wow. That's the evoke, I think. Do you know, why, do you know what I think Honda's problem is? The people who buy Hondas, it's probably the last car they'll ever buy. It'll last <laughs> yeah. them for no, years. No, I know, they're too well made. Yeah, they're well made and they're bought by old people. And old people don't change their cars every three years like young people do. They hang on to them. That's Honda's problem. They've got to start making, you know, little runabouts again, sports cars. Yeah, which, yeah. which they, which they have done in the past, yeah. but maybe those cars haven't mm. done all that well. They need to do something to sex themselves up. I mean, they have a very strange range of cars. Yeah, The Civic's sort of slightly bonkers. Yeah. But to look at, at least. Yeah. And there's that new CRV, which yeah. I saw one the other day and didn't oh. know what it was for a minute. <sighs> hmm. Daddy. Yeah, that's odd, isn't it? My parents bought a Honda 
a few years ago. They've now decided that they don't need a car, and you know, you go. The there bus you go. Are good, but, yeah. Yeah, actually, the yeah, but, but yeah, but old people love a Honda, and yeah. that car did work out beautifully for them. You know, mm. until they sold it. You've got to go with the population Absolutely. bubble, haven't you? And we're the population bubble, our generation, aren't we? The older people, there weren't so many of them. But then Honda have, in the last few years, done the R-type versions of a couple of their younger cars, and they've been reviewed well. Yeah, they're fine. They they're good. And there's well, the new but... NSX is coming back sometime, so maybe that'll help. But it won't help their sales because they'll sell, you know, five, five a year. Yeah. But it's about the image and hopefully boosting up things. Talking we'll, about we'll, selling we'll, five a year, yeah. who's at the bottom of right, the list? Let's so go we'll, there now. Tell we'll us. Canter through this really fast. Very bottom on this list, Saab. <laughs> now I think they're allowed this because they don't exist anymore. But last month, somehow, two Saabs were registered. <laughs> In the UK, really, it must have been languishing in a compound somewhere. So they blew the dust off. Lars, we have found it. Ninety-six. We shall register it. Yeah. So who knows what they were? <laughs> Sonnet. Yeah. Quick, so stick a plate on it. Hopefully, um, a couple have got really, really. They're good allowed. There. They don't anyway. exist anymore. Yeah. Mm. For the time being. So Britain. of people who do exist, it's a night of the living dead. Last month in Britain. Proton registered three cars. Three. Now, I think the main reason for that is that Proton cars are awful. But also, if you want a cheap car, you do now have Dacia, Dacia, around, who are very cheap. Protons aren't that cheap. And nor are they very good. And frankly, when the Malaysian government stops propping them up, they will be did. So, who cares? But, above that... The third worst selling car make in Britain last month of people you've heard of, ignoring kit cars and stuff like that. MG, 13 cars. 13. Now they have about wow. 50 dealers, so that means that most, in fact, of their dealers didn't of... sell a single car. Lotus sold more cars than MG. I think people thought that Lotus had basically been put on pause. But yeah. there's 16 Lotuses registered last month. Yeah, that, that MG is that, that, that's less than a third of a car per dealer, roughly. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning, sir. What brings you here to Ghost Town MG this morning? Uh, well, earlier today, I saw a commercial for a discount carpet warehouse, and I mistook it for an advert for your cars, so I'd like to buy one, please. Well, certainly, sir. If you're in a position to buy right now, you could drive away today in this very car here. Well, not really drive away, it's just the front end of a car. Ah, oh, yes, I should explain, sir. We are just one MG dealer, and I'm afraid as such, this is our monthly allocation of cars. This is our one-third of an MG6. Well, that's no good, is it? Where's the rest of it? Well, sir, I am in regular contact with colleagues at other MG dealerships, and if you were to buy this one-third of an MG6 today, I would be able to put you in touch with a gentleman in Stafford who just yesterday bought the middle third of this very car. So, I would have to travel 150 miles to meet up with a man who has another 33.33 reoccurring percent of my car. Well, yes, sir. But I gather he's very nice. Oh, this all sounds highly inconvenient. Do you sell any other makes of cars in this dealership? As it happens, we do, sir. For the price of this one-third of an MG, I could sell you one whole complete and total Proton. How does that sound? Would you take a cheque for your lovely one-third of an MG? Every pun intended, but I wonder what it is 
that drives car sales in Britain, or indeed anywhere at the moment, you know, is it brand loyalty because your family have a history or some kind of national pride or some kind of status thing that you're going for? Is it advertising or is it motorsport? What is it that influences sales? For instance, MG sold, well, each dealership sold less than a third of a car. Yeah. Is that Jason Plato's fault? Well, here's the thing. So, all right, not advertising well, in that case. I mean, oh, advertising isn't helping because there isn't any advertising for MG. I was going to say, what drives sales? It's complicated and it depends on where and when you are. These things do change. So, you know, one should be careful about oversimplifying. Mm. But yeah, MG advertising, I think maybe I've seen an MG ad in the last year. And now we're talking about, I'm not even quite sure about that. That uh, was a sniff petrol I parody. I certainly can't. Oh, te- trouble. It, it might have been. been no, 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 no. Fabric softener or something. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if I did see an MG ad, it was definitely a roadside, big hoarding, and there was a side view of a car and some text. But but I'm not even. <laughs> but that's all I can remember, and I'm not even sure if that was yeah. actually was an MG ad. I might be completely remembering imagining. This. I think that was a road they warning sign. Yeah, yeah. yeah, side view of a car. Did have a motorbike jumping over yeah. the car? Somebody might just just stuck it, you know, to a blank hoarding. Just, yeah, I think so they did do. But I, I suspect that MG haven't got a lot of money in the UK, so their advertising campaign was short lived. However. Saying that, they clearly have got some money because they're spending it on the British Touring Car Championship. Mm-hmm. And this brings me to, I think, what you were going to say, Gareth. Mm. Is it Jason Plato's fault? Not really. Because he's <laughs> doing... Plato! I don't know, maybe, if you're listening to this, you might have missed this completely. or Because the BTCC, like last season, MG were in it, and Plato and, uh, what was his name, Neat, who was not, in the American sense, neat at all. He was pretty <laughs> hopeless. But they did quite well. They almost won the championship. It was down to the last race, and it was set was. the last race, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And Plato just... drove his heart out and smacked yeah. into people, as he does. Brilliant. God hey, bless that, him. That's touring cars. Uh, exactly, you know? yeah. yeah. It's more of the same this season and they did pretty well in the first race and then not so well more recently but they're strong the car is strong Plato's a great driver they've got a new guy now whose name escapes me but seems to be a little bit better than Andy not neat so and it's the triple eight team who are running yes, it who are really really strong. solid team yeah. so, so why aren't they selling yeah. more cars because <laughs> yeah, right. we both yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, at the sorry. same time Zog and I both went <laughs> well, well, no, I, was, well, I wasn't okay. going to ask the question I was going to say it, because if it doesn't affect their sales why are they spending the money and by extension why is anyone spending the money I think they're playing a medium term game they used to say win on Sunday sell on sell Thursday online. a week later that's what they used to say wasn't it something, something like that something like close that. enough yeah. Yeah. I think it's a less obvious game now. There was a time when people were suckered by advertising immediately because we lived in a less cynical time. And that idea of advertising something or giving something an immediate profile and people rushing out to buy it the next day doesn't happen anymore because we're a more Mm. cynical generation. However, what it will do is build a belief in the brand perhaps not for us guys who remember mg when they were a british brand and worth something also rubbish in other ways but they're aiming at the next generation you know the playstation generation who are now moving into buying cars they will have no baggage about mg whatsoever but the fact that oh yeah they used to race in the btcc will mean something to a 19 year old in five years time okay but that's doing motorsport not advertising and i think you yeah. can't use that yeah. about advertising well, because in thing. any case i don't think it is i think it's very different because broadly speaking advertising works mm-hmm. you know although mm-hmm. there's that old cliche about advertising i know that half of the money that i spend on advertising is wasted 
I just can't work out which half. <laughs> you know, but but the, the flip side of that is that the other half does work. You can do bad adverts that will damage your business or that won't mm. do you any good at all, but advertising works. Now, the motorsport thing, then, there's something odd going on here because I think that motorsport does remain a good way generally to promote an automotive brand, provided that you've got a bit more going on than just putting your cars on track and having them do well and having cars in the showroom. You need more than that. So, for example, I think Audi have benefited from their involvement in endurance racing because there has been a genuine link between some of the diesel technology that they've developed for the racing cars and the diesel technology that they're putting into road cars. I'm actually, not saying that this is why they're the fourth most popular brand that you know, we just talked about, about mm-hmm. a brand car, but I'm sure that's part of the story help. in building up yeah. Audi's market share in the last Audi few years. Have, but, I think uh, Audi have exploited their presence in endurance racing rather well. The whole branding crossover, the fact that the R18 is the R18 e-tron Quattro, they're building it into the road car brand. We know e-tron technology is coming to Audi. Quattro is clearly an Audi sub-brand, and they're flagging that up. I think they've done very well there. The FSI thing is something that we associate with both Le Mans and Audi road cars. Well, we do, because we follow Le Mans. I don't think the average Audi driver knows a damn thing about Le Mans. And I'll tell you something really, really weird that I discovered this week, that one of the big Audi dealers, I think the one in London on the A4, Mm -hmm. on the way out of town, that 70% of new cars they sell the buyers don't take a test drive. Really? They wow. just want that car. Wow. That's a brand they trust. Yeah, they've made up their mind. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Well, that's brand faith, isn't it? Not blind faith, but brand faith. Mm, they've made yeah, their yeah. mind up. Oh, no, I'm not going to drive BMW because the neighbour's got one. Range Rover, I'm not a drug dealer. No, it's going to be an Audi. And it's a process of elimination for them. It's that pick and mix culture that we all subscribe mm. to these Well, days. it certainly suggests that Britain is full of <laughs> 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 Oh, that's, that's awfully harsh on your Audi. Come on, come on. They've made BMWs acceptable, though, haven't they? That's oh, OK, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, fair oh, enough. Because if there's a man half a millimetre from your back bumper, it's usually a man as well. But I have seen some it's terrible driving by women on motorways in Audi as well, very aggressive sort of Audi-style driving from dreadful recruitment consultants in A3s and things like that. It's not a purely bloke thing. I think Audis, because they feel very sturdy, because the controls are relatively heavy, and deliberately so, they engineer mm. in an Audi feel. And I know this explicitly, they have said this. Mm. They went to a great deal of trouble of flipping the engine and transmission around for the platform that's under the A5 and A4 and now A6 so that the weight distribution was better. Engine further back mm-hmm. and then moving the gearbox forward so that they didn't have that nose-heavy feeling of Audis. Mm-hmm. And yet you got into any of these cars and you still do and they broadly feel like the old generation where so they went to have a lot of trouble to change the fundamental balance of the car and then set it up to feel exactly the same. Mm. And this was done deliberately. They could have changed it. The engineers would have happily changed it. But the marketing people said, no, these cars must continue to feel like Audis. And that's oh, an Audi quite feels like. Solid, and solid that's a, heavy, maybe a little bit leaden, but reassuringly firm. But I think Which it's Which encourages very, people to drive more directly, yeah, it basically. Does. You know, I think there's it does. That whole, again, that whole thing about if you want people to drive more carefully, stick a big spike in the steering wheel, that'll yeah. make them slow down and take a bit more care. So if BMW is the ultimate driving machine, you know, live, responsive, ooh, I like driving, and Mercedes is, well, it's an investment and it's never going to break down and it'll give me prestige, what does Audi stand for? Engineering excellence with a bit of a twist. Is the They're way very nicely designed as well, aren't they? Like a yep. well-cut suit. You, whatever else you think of Audi, you'd have to say the design is very, very neat. 
and, and the shut and lines restrained. are extraordinary. Yeah, restrained. It, it's not ostentatious design. There's not a lot of flair and panache in a way, but incredibly tasteful and yeah. bang on and just beautiful, really beautiful, but in a kind of restrained rather than an elaborate way. There was a that, feature once in one of the car magazines about how Audi get their doors to fit the way they do, and I forget the details, but it's incredibly elaborate. And it's true. I drove the new A3 a few months ago, and it's a Golf underneath. And, you know, people like us who know about cars always go, why would you bother with an A3? Just get a Golf. It's just the same car, but cheaper. Or get an Octavia. But... You get, particularly in that new A3, I think they've really gone to town now. The interior feels of a certain degree higher quality, and the door fits are extraordinary. You think, of course someone would get in the showroom and get in one of these and just go, I want this car. No wonder 70% of buyers aren't test driving them. They just go, I want this car straight away. They've just felt the door shut, and mm-hmm. they've looked at the little circular vents and the beautiful click they have engineered into them, and they thought, I want this. I want this in my life now. Why would you not go for a Golf built by Audi? You know? Well, yeah, there you go. You put yeah. it like that, and it makes perfect sense, doesn't yeah. it? Good morning. I'd like to buy a Golf, please. Certainly, sir. Uh, But I'd like it to be built by Audi, please. Ah, so what you'd like is an Audi A3? No, I don't think you understand me. I'd like a VW Golf. I see. I'm sorry, sir. I misunderstood you there. But a VW Golf built by Audi. Uh, Sir, a VW Golf built by Audi is an Audi A3. But I told you, I want... Golf. Sir, I'm happy to show you a Golf, if that's what you'd like. Yes, it is. A Golf, built by Audi. Right, I've had enough, that's it. I'm sorry, sir, but you're extremely annoying, and I'm going to punch you in the face. Well, I don't want that. It's a punch in the face made by Audi, sir. Oh, well, in that case, please, go ahead. Oh, all right, yes. Very solid. The other great question about the relationship between motorsport and car sales is, does the technology in motorsport, perhaps specifically Formula One, but also rallying and endurance racing, does that filter down to cars these days? The only example I can think of at the moment is that Peugeot developed their system of decoking the catalyst or the exhaust in their road car from technology that they developed for the 908 Le Mans car, where it reaches such an astronomical temperature that it actually burns the carbon particulates. That's their HDI FAP technology that's mm. what they call okay. it okay uh, and that's in persia road cars now mm. but you look at formula one what's filtering down from formula one to road cars very little i mm. think there's actually very little crossover now you're pretty pushed to make the argument that what you're developing for an f1 car filters down to road cars i'm sure there will be some stuff that comes out of energy recovery and some of that curse technology that's probably the only thing that's really a at all relevant. It's too specialised, um, the Formula One stuff, and at too high a level to yeah. translate directly. To, you look at something like carbon fibre, which has been in Formula One, what, for 30 years now. Mm. But it's only now becoming more commonplace in road cars and in sort of normal road cars mm-hmm. uh, and will increasingly happen because of production techniques that they're refining as you speak. And, and, and when that's you something can... that Formula One would never do because they don't need to work on mass production Formula One. And also, over the decades, the technology of road cars 
and racing cars, you know, and open wheel racing cars in particular, has just diverged that little bit more. Mm. They've you know, they've mm. moved a bit further parts of the cars, which actually makes it in the way more surprising that just to get back to the MG thing, it makes it more surprising, I think, that they're selling so badly because racing your cars in BTCC, okay, that's not the road car, but it's a hell of a lot closer to a yeah. road car yeah, than yeah. the Audi Le Mans cars are to Audi road cars yeah. or to any kind of conceivable crossover that's going on with F1 and road cars so why that presence in BTCC isn't working for MG I'm sure it's a bit of a puzzle to them maybe they're starting from such a low point in terms of what people expect of the brand that actually they're doing well to sell 13 cars a month I don't know there are arguably two great racing marks which without their presence in racing their road cars wouldn't be anywhere near attractive one is Zog's favourite Porsche you Mm. buy a Porsche 911 you're buying into that tail happy heritage aren't you yeah ferrari their presence in formula one it's integral it's well, crucial it, it, to it, their identity isn't it and it's so much a part of the history because when enzo ferrari started selling road cars he sold road cars in order to fund his racing mm, you know yes, in order to fund right. yeah. ferrari racing cars he sold ferrari road cars mm. and that's actually something that i thought was really interesting because this story is just broken about how ferrari are going to start limiting their sales they're going to limit sales is it seven thousand cars a year and they're selling a little over that at the moment. Yeah. They're sort of, uh, I don't know, 7,300 or something cars a year. They're going to limit their sales to 7,000 to preserve the exclusivity of the brand. How are they going to do that by selling only a third of a car like certain other <laughs> Oh, hey, see, MG leading the way. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so innovative. But there was an interesting little bit in the story. Assuming that the figures in the story that I read were correct, Ferrari, the car company, makes about 80 million profit a year on its turnover. Mm. Uh, the turnover of half a billion or something, roughly. Actually, if we just multiply 7,000... This by is Lira. No, no, this is pounds. Um, <laughs> if you're making 80 million profit a year, that doesn't come anywhere near covering the costs of Ferrari's F1 racing efforts. Mm-hmm. So, that's, no. so does that tell you that Ferrari aren't successful enough as a car company because the modern Ferrari mm-hmm. can't do what old-school Ferrari presumably managed to do fairly well, which is cover the costs of the racing? Yeah. Or does that mean that F1 has just got insanely expensive because even Ferrari can't, in a sense, cover their own costs in racing? F1 is insanely expensive. Or, or maybe that 80 million has a lot to do with accounting practices, and actually, when you figure yeah, it out, actually, yeah. Ferrari has made a lot not, more uh, profit than that. So, well, not I'm, just any accounting practices so, as well, Italian accounting practices. Of course, you know. I would imagine are quite complicated. And designed so that money can, you know, you can hear it, yeah. can't you? We sold, rested places. We, we, mm. sold, we sold fifty uh, models of the FXX last year. The profit from this car was only three euros. It's like yeah. Hollywood accounting. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. Don't, yeah, no, no, yeah, sure. That film was the uh, third biggest at the box office, but no, it's not in profit yet. Yeah, I know, you, I know, you've got a couple. We've still lost money. Yeah, it's the Starbucks model, isn't it? Is it? No, no, we made no uh, profit because, of course, they have to pay all the other nations from our sales in this country. It's what they're yeah, doing. It's yeah, right it's a bit naughty, isn't it? But Ferrari, I suppose the other less classy option would be to say, yes, we do need to do what old man Enzo did and pay for the racing team. So we're going to introduce an entry-level model for about seventy or £80,000, and we will make as many as you damn want. You want 50000 a year? We'll make them. There you mm. go. Lots of lashings of lovely profit. Oh, it's front-wheel drive, by the way, because it's actually based <laughs> on the Fiat Punto. But it's a Ferrari. It's got a Ferrari badge on the front. Roll up, roll up. Hang on, isn't that what Lancia was for in days gone by? Well, oh, and there, oh, were, there, yeah. were, there was, there was lots of, was it the theme or the detail? There was that... Uh, there was 
the Famer, which had the, uh, the V8, yeah. the 3.5 V8 from the uh, 308 3.2, because it was called the Famer, or Famer, I think. Famer. Uh, uh, 32. 32. Yeah. With right, a pop-up yeah. rear spoiler. Yeah. So terribly exotic in those days. And I must have told you this story before. When I went to the San Marino Grand Prix, the Ferrari team turned up the crew, because it's their local race pretty much, in a red Lancia Famer, with Ferrari badging on the back as well and lovely BBS wheels and stuff. Mm. And it really did look like a sort of a... Not the Thamer. The, the Zeta. Zeta? The, peop- the, the, the people carry uh, that was built on the Ulysses yeah, platform yeah, yeah, yeah. and the Fedra it became. But the one yeah. before that, was it called the Zeta? I think it Possibly. was. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. Oh, it was the loveliest MPV I ever saw. It looked like a race car. It looked like an Integrale yeah, it really you've did. You've got to track these down because, it, because you know, by now, if it hasn't rusted away, it's probably yeah. depreciated in value enough. I could actually, actually afford it. You know, it's actually yeah. affordable. <laughs> you, know, you want to see if you can track that one down. You're kidding, Richard, about Ferrari producing a front-wheel drive car of... Uh, well, know, I was just saying, you know, that's one way they could go. Yeah. If they really wanted to make money to Isn't fund the race Isn't that what Maserati is, then? But it would devalue the brand, mm. wouldn't it? I mean, actually, it would, how yes. Many, how many cars a year does Maserati sell off? You know, we're f- Not I mean, enough, if, I think. This is why they are making the new Quattroporte is going to be... Five-series rival. Well, that's going to be the Ghibli, isn't it? But the... Quattroporte will now have a wider range, yeah. I think, and then below that there will be the new 5 Series rival and the Gran Turismo. So yeah. we've got a broader range of cars now and they're trying to make the most out of that and they're trying to behave like a proper car company instead of a sort of quirky old mm. outfit that makes one model or maybe two. I was just doing the quick mental calculation. Actually, maybe that, that 80 million profit for Ferrari might not be sort of an insane fiddle because if you think about it, 7,000 cars, that's basically making about £10,000 profit Per car, which roughly. most people would dream uh, of. Yeah. Which I mean, and it's you know, I mean, price are expensive cars. You know, if you're selling a hundred thousand pound car, is that good or bad to make ten grand on it? Oh, ten percent profit. Yeah. The best profit yeah. I ever heard on a car was the old Lincoln Navigator. You know, the big oh, SUVs yes. they sell in the US. I think uh, they still do. And that was such old school technology underneath, ladder frame chassis, you know, and the development costs had been written off way back in the 70s. And mm. they were making something like $25,000 clear profit on everyone wow. they sold. Wow. Happy times. Back in the heady days of the 90s when <laughs> a, people yeah. weren't getting so much in knots about huge SUVs, even in the US. But one final thing I was going to say about Ferrari is also, I reckon they probably make a lot of their profits, not on the cars themselves per se, but on the options. Because every Ferrari... And I asked a guy from Ferrari once this. I said, someone ever go into the showroom and just go, I'd like a 458 and I'd just like it like that. Red, whatever the leather comes in, black or cream, I'll have that. Don't bother. Mm. I don't want contrast stitching. I don't want LEDs in the steering wheel. I don't want the fitted luggage set or the shields on the front wing, which are about two grand or something absurd. Really? Oh, yeah. I wish I'd brought. I've still got it at home. I might have it framed. The spec list for that 458 that I drove last year that I was rabbiting on about on the show. And the options are hilarious. The best one is a tiny Italian flag badge, a little enamel badge goes on the engine cover as an option. And it was something like 500 quid. It's a little badge. I hope they make the most unbelievable coffee while they're. But yeah, well, the guy said from Ferrari said nobody, very, very rare that anybody just buys the car bog standard. Yes, a lot of people have red, particularly first time, their first Ferrari. Mm-hmm. they'll go red because it's the classic thing to do but it's also a special treat for them something they've been saving up for maybe their whole lives and they want it to be the way they want it so they will go nuts with the options and I bet all of those options are marked up like crazy it's but like is a it, woman and a wedding isn't it you're one chance you've got to do it yes, I know, do I'm, it right. I'm just wondering if it's like looking at the wineers on the menu and basically everyone looks down and just picks the second cheapest thing <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, sir. How can I help you? 
I'd like to buy a Ferrari motor car, please. Very good, sir. We have four models in our range at present. Did you have anything particular in mind? Uh, yes, I'd like the second cheapest, please. Of course, sir. That would be the 458 Italia. It's yours for £178,000. Oh, dear. Uh, no, I, I don't actually have anything like that sort of level of money. Well, perhaps, sir, we'd prefer the more um, <clears throat> affordable Ferrari California. It's just £152,000. £152,000? Uh, no, I can't afford that either. I had no idea your cars were so expensive. Uh, do you have anything cheaper? Well, uh, yes. Yes, I do. It's out there. The yellow car. You see it? Uh, the one with the uh, hatchback. Ah, yes, I see it. Uh, a little less rakish than I imagined for a Ferrari. Um, uh, tell me more, though. What's it called? Uh, well, this is, this is our latest model, and it's... Uh, it's called the Sinky Cento. Gareth Jones on Speed. Every now and again on Gareth Jones on Speed, we'd like to offer a bonus 30% at no extra cost. And considering that you don't actually pay for this show, that's a bit barking. We would normally have finished the programme by now, but I thought we might just do another few minutes about an idea that came to me earlier today, and that is, you know this phrase, guilty pleasures? I'd never heard this phrase until Danny Minogue said it on The X Factor. Thought, well, what? Yeah, I'd never heard it before. She was talking about, oh yeah. No, what, no, what were you doing watching Danny Minogue on The X Factor? Is Danny Minogue on The X Factor? Well, she I, was when I, I watched she it. Is, so she was, was yeah. Oh, you never heard that phrase? I hadn't heard it before. There's no, a whole no. club night called Guilty Pleasure, which has been going yeah, for a while, and they did yeah, yeah. CDs and stuff like that. And I oh, yeah. never went to the night, but I had one of the CDs, and it had great cheese and stuff. Cracking cheesy it. old tunes. Although, at the same time... But then I again, you know, one person's cheese is another yeah, person's it's classic. Exactly. exactly. It's, yeah, it's one person's, you know, stinking, oh. fermented... <laughs> Not disgusting nonsense, another person's cheese. It's, yeah. It depends how you look at it. And I saw, I think it was a music journalist called Peter Robinson, who does the brilliant Pop Justice website, said, website, yeah. why is this guilty pleasures? I'm not guilty about liking yeah, this yeah, stuff. Yeah. I think it's great. So, Well, as a long-time ABBA fan, I think yeah, I'm Yeah, exactly, I'm, I'm, there's I'm no show. I'm not guilty about the, liking ABBA. Yeah. I like Cliff. There are some Cliff Richard records I'm really very fond of. That's my uh, guilty pleasure. Yeah, well, right, yeah why the yeah. sound? I, I yeah, like, that's I, the one. That's, I, like I start the there. Great. Uh, Daddy's home. And what's that one that he did more recently? It was sort of all... Like not more recently, it was about twenty years ago. I was going to say, in, let's in, in Cliff, very... in 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 oh, yeah, Cliff I mean, age, in Cliff years, yeah. Cliff years. <laughs> yeah, the only thing about Cliff that ages is bizarrely his neck. Um, <laughs> he's got a he's got, he's, got, yes, he's got the face of a thirty-year-old with the neck of a tortoise. It's extraordinary. <laughs> um, oh. We digress. Yes, yeah, so guilty pleasures uh, uh, in terms strange, of cars. In terms of cars, I've got three. In my mind, I want I've to got, tell I've you I've got about. a couple. You've got a couple. Well, you've got, you've you've got, got one three there, so maybe you should... Yeah, I don't know. There's nothing I feel first. very guilty about on the same logic that I was just talking about. There's yeah, levels of guilt. Yeah, Masturbating in a synagogue, I think, would be something you should feel guilty about. <laughs> Given that I just <laughs> had a meeting a in a synagogue this afternoon. You had a meeting in a synagogue? Yeah. A meeting? I had a meeting in a synagogue, yeah. Why did you have a meeting in a synagogue? Because I'm going to be... Jewish? 
I think you know where I stand. I think you know where I stand on the whole religion thing. So you know, so <laughs> let's not go there. Whoa, 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 let's well, yeah. not go there. But, I'm just but, uh, intrigued. Why do they have like a really because good I'm gonna, shop or I, I'm going to be selling my truffles at a uh, uh, at a rather interesting forthcoming event at the West London at the uh, West London Synagogue. Yeah, well. uh, but they, again, again, we tried it. We had a, well, that's an interesting Ooh. question. Um, from Ooh. the point of view of Reform Judaism, they're totally okay. Yeah. If you're an Orthodox Jew, no, they're not kosher. If you're applying the strictest rules, did you explain so, that uh, these are atheist truffles that you're making? My religious position is no problem here. No, they're, okay. they're a very relaxed, lovely bunch. Uh, at the West London Synagogue. Uh, if I may pull yeah, this conversation back, to, back from I don't know why I said synagogue as well. I mean, that suddenly seems slightly offensive. I don't think I've ever no, been no, no, in synagogue in my the, life. The but... fact that you thought about it, the fact that you... I don't know, I'm just saying... I think, I'm do you just know saying, why? Cause cause I think it's maybe you should examine your conscience no, here. That's all I'm saying. Because I think cause if you were born, well, as I suppose I was technically, into the I Church of England. I was born as well. Oh, I see. And so masturbating in a church would be bad, but into the temple of somebody else's faith seems even more disrespectful. Okay, no, I can consider going there. Hence the guilt. We have digress to a really yeah. quite troubling let me yeah. pull it back to guilty the guilty pleasures, pleasures not knocking one out in chapel Go, move on, yeah. move on. I'll start right now I've got three cars in mind which I know you two are going to look at me as if I've just masturbated in the synagogue mm. when I say this right but the first thing that I harbour quite a desire for in a, in a quiet way is I'm not really fussed which one quite honestly is it the Toyota Hilux is it the Mitsubishi, what's it called, the animal or the warrior? The L200. Yeah. That that family of, yeah. Or the VW Amarok, which I've driven off-road, is a very capable vehicle. You know, I do a bit of camping. The idea of being able to go camping with a king cab pickup and all that space in the back, I know I shouldn't. I know they're crude. I know they're trucks. I know they're thirsty. But part of me really fancies one. Does that make me a bad person? One has to allow one's friends a certain amount of leeway in, you know. One man's gorgonzola is the occasional lapse of taste. Really? Have you never no, had a bit of desire for a, a pickup? No, not, for, uh, not for a pickup, no way. But, uh, no, but, I, but I quite one, like a Hilux. I think yeah? But mm. I haven't driven any other ones. Oh, I drove the Nissan one. What was that called? The Pathfinder? Yeah, no, it's called the Navara, isn't it? Navara, indeed. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think the song is exactly right. It's a question of taste, really, because they're I don't a bit know what hillbilly. they taste like. <laughs> I, uh, no, I mean, Straight, gritty. Um, they're just yeah. a bit hillbilly. Aren't I know. They? I really don't like all those big cab, huge pickup horses Not for horses, and I would enjoy that. One of my guilty pleasures here would be big old American cars. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, can, I bang on a great about how much I hate people in their huge inappropriately large SUVs driving around London and how nice small city cars you know your little Fiat perfect but I do have a real soft spot if it's a 59 Cadillac you know Mm. I don't care what tiny streets in London you want to try and cram it down it's welcome because uh, it's so lovely. You can even kind of go up to the 1970s. Yeah. You know, I can yeah, still yeah, go yeah. for an As enormous... Before they started getting embarrassed about them and scaled them down. And, mm-hmm. and they the design just got tune. wrong. There was just, yeah. you know, sort of, in, I mean, you could tell it mostly in sort of the Cadillacs. You know, the, sort of the whole balance of the design of Cadillacs just goes completely off the rails. And all of a sudden they just look naff. Cadillac has had uncool spots in the past before, but there was still a basic balance in the Love design. Cadillac. And they just totally lost. So, yeah, yeah so big American car. That's I, a good well, pleasure. Well, actually, if that, funnily enough, brings me to a guilty pleasure of mine, is I think probably Cadillacs in general. Yeah, Ooh. me too. And yeah. I'll be honest, but I, I like a crap Cadillac. 
Oh, really? Oh, what, like the, um, the, the BL... The BLS. Thing. And do you know what I saw? BLT. At the weekend, the BLT. I don't like tomatoes. I'd rather the BLT. So. <laughs> um, the BLS Estate, I think probably one of the most obscure yeah. cars yeah, yeah. on Ooh. the roads of the world. I, it was I can't a remember ever seeing one. three underneath. Nine, three, yeah. Yeah. But the Estate one particularly. Mm. And I've driven the Saloon with the V6 Turbo. And it was a quick car and it wasn't a very good car. But I still occasionally look at them. Arnold Clark are selling them for about £4,000. Yeah. Well, so, they probably yeah, are. Yeah, <laughs> Along with yeah. that Infinity I showed you earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. £28,000 worth of depreciation in a year. Um, so, now. yeah, a Cadillac. What? Just a Cadillac, but a crappy Cadillac. Remember the STS? Yes. With yeah, the V8, yeah, yeah, North Star yeah, yeah, V8, front wheel drive. They sold over here. Yeah, yeah, there's a guy who lives not far from me who's got a CTS. Yeah. Awful, Just, but it looks great at the same time. <laughs> I don't know, I can't yeah, explain yeah. it. I agree. I don't think I'd go so far as to buy one, but I do sort of look at them and go, Unless you just wanted to buy it for the engine, maybe. Just oh, that North Star V8 is meant to be great, and yeah. it could sort of famously run on no oil or something. Oh, 500,000 like miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no, no, wasn't it? It was the first service at 500,000 yes. miles, supposedly. I'm not finished, because, as you know, being a TV presenter of the 80s, not the 70s, like the rest of that generation, I'm a pervert, but not <laughs> a pervert in the way that they are. I'm a pervert for cars, because here's another car that I see all the time, and I think, I love you. You're one of the funniest cars ever made, and I love you. And I know they're not cool, but I love them. The Multipler. I love the Fiat Multipler. That car no, should have just, been massive. No, it shouldn't. Yes, no, should. no, 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 no. Yes. No. You see, now that's why it's a guilty pleasure, because even my great friend Zog yeah, 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 I, I thinks that. Yeah. Uh, Do you like the Multipler, I Richard? admire the Multipler, but only in the same way that I sort of admire... Chartered accountants for being able to do <laughs> sums. I, I, it was a very clever car. It was very bravely styled, yep. and I didn't like it when they wussed out. And I agree. Normal looking because they should have either kept the courage in their convictions. Of course, yep. the reason they couldn't is because they weren't selling as many as they probably hoped. Yeah. What I find strange about it, and where I probably would then step over to Sog's side of this strangely styled line, mm. is that it's not a car I would ever hanker after. Oh, it's just a car. Have you and driven they don't one? Make, yes, yeah. Oh. I, so, funny enough, when they first came out, before they were on sale in the UK, and I was working at Old Top Gear, we had one from Fiat that was left-hand drive on Italian plates, and it was like the first one in the country, I think. And for some reason, it was going spare over a weekend, and I drove up to Manchester in it with my brother and a mate, and we all sat at one point across the three seats, the front, which, which looked rather odd. Good. But then the whole car looked rather odd. And I remember yeah. vividly at one point being on the M6, and there was a coachload of children in the middle lane, and they were all pressed against the windows <laughs> of this coach, like, yeah. and you could see them sort of going, "What's that?" And pointing and. It just it cut an unusual figure at the time, but that was because it was Certainly novel. Did. You they, wouldn't call it pretty, and I don't wouldn't. hanker after one now much, though it was perfectly nice to drive and very clever. Who is it who do the strap-on bits for... Uh, and Summers. Not that, you can not be minded, but just the, stra- the strap-on bits for the... You know, Irmisha do... Uh, oh, Opal. A, is it a bath? On, not a bath, it was Novitech, N-O-V-I-T-E-C, if I remember. And if you do a search oh, online, okay. you will find a rather nice-looking German yellow specked-up multiplayer, which kind of looks like a multiplayer integrale. It's very nice. So that's my guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. Right, at the final one, because we're going to wrap this now, but when I say this, you two are probably going to thump me, hit me, or refuse to talk to me ever again. Because you know what my ultimate guilty pleasure is? And whenever I see one on, on the road, I love... Love this car in the same way that you might love a particularly repulsive, nasal, snotty, ugly little pug dog that has got a monstrous carbuncle growing on its face. 
Not easy to love, but something like that needs love, and that's why I love... This is going to be really horrible, isn't it? This is a Rodius, the original version. It is so disfigured, I adore it. You're not winning me over here. I no, I'm saying that. You're not going to talk to me anymore, are you? Someone has it's to just love. just a baffling choice. I, you know, I admire your generosity of spirit in letting your heart reach out to that poor, ghastly, abandoned thing. But you know. Even cars need love. You've been listening to Zog. Goodbye. Richard Porter. Goodbye. And me, Gareth. See ya. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!